Good morning, Avenue South. So good to be with you and to continue worshiping by reading God's Word together. And if you have a Bible with you, and I hope that you do, I hope that you will either turn on your smartphone to the book of Colossians or in your hardback Bible to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3 today as we continue in our sermon series. We've got one more week left in this sermon series, and we're walking through this scripture, and we're trying to dig out the truths of scripture. Some of them are at the surface of the soil. Others are super deep. And so we're trying to mine the truths of God's word, which I think Colossians is as applicable to us today in 2020, as strange and unique as it is. Uh, Circumstances may be a little bit different, but the churches in Colossae and the Christians in the first century were dealing with a lot of the same concerns and challenges that we are. So this is so applicable. And so I hope you'll join me there. And as you do, uh, let me share with you, I'm a native Tennessean. I'm a native Tennessean. I was born in Chattanooga. I know we have several members in our congregation who are from East Tennessee and Chattanooga. And so I was born in Chattanooga. And one of my favorite things as a child to do is that our parents would take us to a local amusement park just south of downtown. It was called Lake Winnipesoka. I don't know how many of you raise your hand if you've ever been to Lake Winnipesoka to the locals called Lake Winnie. So if you're on the inside culture of that, that's what you may call it. But that's where we would go to this amusement park that started in the early 20s there in Chattanooga. And when I was a kid, I thought Lake Winnipesoka was awesome. The roller coaster, which was relatively small, I thought was so big and the rides were so cool. It was the best place I had ever been as a child. And I used to love going there, beg my parents to go to Lake Winnipesoka. Now that was until when I was about eight years old, my parents took us to Disney World for the first time. My parents took us to Disney World for the first time. So if you've ever been to Disney World, raise your hand. And it's okay if the people in your community are looking in your window, see you just raising your hand, looking at your screen like it's totally okay. Um, Many of us have been there, right? And when you walk in, nobody does Disney like Disney, right? Nobody does amusement parks like them. And, And once you go there and you are just immersed in that culture and you forget where you are, other than the the screaming children and pushing your kids to their breaking point all in the name of fun, right? But, But I digress. Like, there's no place like Disney. And so when we would return back home, I realized that the luster of Lake Winnipesoka had faded just a little bit because there was nothing like once you get a glimpse of how Disney World functions, it made Lake Winnipesoka as well-intended and hardworking, I'm sure, as those staff and owners were. It just faded in comparison. And here's one of the problems about that illustration. Once you get a glimpse of the real thing, the best of things, you lose your desire and your passion for things of lesser value. Now, that may be a problem, but it's also a wonderful truth for us today, that once you catch a glimpse of the real thing, the best of things, you lose your taste, you lose the appeal, and you lose the passion for things of lesser value. Listen, I believe God woke us up. He brought us to this moment. Whether you watch this later on demand, he brought us to this point to show us glimpses of the real thing, of Jesus and his glory and a literal place called heaven, so that in a good way, we would be less attracted to, less preoccupied with things of lesser value. 
I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to see where this is true in Scripture. And as we've done in Colossians, we're going to slowly walk through this text. So remain seated for right now. We'll stand in honor of God's word at the end of our time together. But I want to read from Colossians 3. And we're going to read the first four verses together. And this is exactly what I was mentioning just a second ago. So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory." Now, if you read scripture with a pen, and listen, this gives us an opportunity when we're not here in the room, and I encourage you to have a journal or a pen when we're literally in the house of worship, but wherever you are with a cup of coffee or however you're most comfortable reading and worshiping together online, you need to keep a journal with you, you need to keep a highlighter, you need to keep a pen, and you need to make notes. God is not offended by that. You make notes in the margin. So you may want to underline where the apostle Paul says to us, seek the things above. Those first four words, seek things things above. And underline, set your mind on things above. Now hear me say, Paul is not preaching against things that are here. This is not a sermon. This is not a text about you should hate. You should rid yourself in terms of everything there is to see and to touch and to experience in this life. Paul's not preaching against certain things here. He's simply trying to give us a glimpse of something better, something greater so that the things of this world hold less attraction to our affections and to our attention. When Paul says, seek things above, set your mind on things above, he's saying, fix your eyes on things that are unseen, things that are eternal, they are lasting. Set your eyes and your heart on things that are lasting. If your eyes are the gateway to the soul, set your eyes and look towards things that oftentimes are unseen, but they are more eternal and lasting than even things that are seen and felt and experienced here that are temporal and not lasting. One of the commentary writers about this text says that life in this world will be better if it's lived with a power that comes from beyond this world. Life in this world will be better if it's lived with a power that comes from beyond this world. The Apostle Paul says, look with me in those first four verses, so if you have been raised with Christ, verse 3, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ. We preach Jesus Christ here in this church and Christians, followers of God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Jesus Christ, who is God. We preach Jesus, and we glorify him. And if we do so, then the Bible tells us we not only died with him, Jesus died on the cross at Calvary. And when he died, he laid down his perfect body or his perfect reputation and his perfection and divinity. He laid that down in exchange for us. We are broken. We are flawed. And this is not to make us feel bad or wrong, but we are sinful by nature. We are all born, as cute and cuddly as our baby pictures are, we are born sinful on arrival. We are born sinful by nature and by choice. We see that in culture when things break down and there is chaos and there is violence. We, we often defer to our fleshly sinful nature by nature and by choice. So what happened on the cross is when we place our faith in Jesus, we have been buried or died with Jesus. And our sinful nature has been crucified on the cross and buried in the grave. 
What this means is, and we talked about this last week, it doesn't mean that we won't pursue things that are unhealthy. It doesn't mean that we will not have a sin nature any longer. We will be in these fleshly bodies until we go to glory and be with Jesus. What it means is that at the cross, Jesus paid for our sins. He buried those in the tomb. And therefore, those sinful nature choices do not have the same power over us. They don't have the power to control us and dictate our future as they did before we came to Christ. One of the songs we sung this morning, I appreciate when we plan worship services that Ronnie Dennis, our worship minister, chooses songs that support where we're going in the scripture. And so we plan that together. We tie that together. Of course, you could sing songs that say one thing and scriptures that say another. And yes, it all glorifies God. But one of the songs we sung talked about dancing on our chains. That when we come to faith in Christ, we praise God that our past and our sinfulness has been nailed to the cross and buried with Christ. And so therefore, the same Jesus who died for us. And that's good news for any of us who want a fresh start. We find it in Christ. But Jesus has not only been buried for us, and we've been buried with him, but Paul says you have been raised with Christ. And so therefore, you have new life. And that's why I might call it, as the old preachers used to say, victorious life or victorious living in Christ. There is reason for hope. There's reason for joy. There's reason for excitement that we have victory, not in ourselves, but in Christ So Paul says, because all of this is a reality, you've been buried with Christ, you've been raised with Christ to walk new life, set your heart and your mind on things above, which is where Jesus is. Jesus is now in heaven at the right hand of the Father. We're not alone without God. He sent his Holy Spirit. Jesus was with the disciples when he walked this earth, but now we are even fortunate that we have something that the disciples did not even have when Jesus was with him. We now have God's Spirit, his Holy Spirit, the presence of the risen Jesus, not just around us, but inside of us. So we have God with us now, but Jesus is in heaven with God. And Paul says, set your mind and your heart on things above, because that's where this is all trending. One day, We will either go to be with Jesus in heaven or he will return while we're still alive to establish an unending kingdom, heaven on earth. We long for that. We look forward to that. That's where things are leading. So set your heart and your mind on those things right now. And if it's true that life will be better here on earth if we live with that historic arc in mind, we'll be with Jesus in the literal place where things are perfect. There's no pain and there's no hardship and there's no cancer. There's no broken relationships. There's no loss of jobs. There's no economic shutdown and struggle. And we never have to wonder how will we provide food or security for family and friends. We'll never have to struggle with that anymore. Then we should live as if that matters. Now, remember, once you get a glimpse of the real thing, it makes everything else pale in comparison. And one of the ways this is fleshed out in our home is that we have many friends and loved ones who have lately had sniffles and Wondering, is my stopped up head, is my headache or my sniffles, is that just seasonal allergies or is that COVID-19? I don't know if as I say that you're like, oh my gosh, he's totally talking to me. Because right now there are many of us who are like, do I go get tested? Do I not go get tested? And we need to, I need to, we as a church need to speak to these things so that we don't live in fear, but we live in the hope of glory where this is all headed. Set your mind and your heart on things above. So one of the things we did in our home is that we sat down, Amy and I, as a couple, without the kids in the room, and I said, listen, 
We cannot live in the house quarantined for the rest of our lives. We're going to have to go to the store. We may have to meet people to exchange certain things, drop off, pick up. Like, we can't stay isolated forever. So let's do what we can, and you should too. Let's wear a mask when we're out in public because that is one of the best ways. Not only have the mayors and the governors and others given us instruction on the best way to align with the authorities God's placed us under for the betterment of our community, it's Romans 13, but also if we really love others, one of the best ways to love them is for us to do what's in someone else's best interest, to look out for the vulnerable and those among us. And so therefore, one of the things Amy and I have said is we're going to wear masks, We're going to wash our hands for 20 seconds. We have the kids sing happy birthday to make sure while they're washing their hands that they have washed more than just three or four seconds. We're going to do everything we can to protect ourselves. But should we get sick, should we get the virus, the worst thing that can happen, and we know this, we're reading about this, is that some people are dying as a result of the virus. Now, people die of cancer. People die of other illnesses and sicknesses. So this isn't the only one, but we are talking about this. You're living in this world. I'm living in this world. And Amy and I looked at each other and said, if you and I were to get the virus, not trying to be flippant about this, but if it it caused our bodies to shut down and we died as a result of this, do we trust God to take care of one another after we were gone? Do we trust God to love our children more than we love our children? And of course, the answer was yes. So we have prayed and I have prayed for a greater trust and abiding faith in God because if that were to happen, we immediately are ushered into the presence of God, which is a place where no pain, no sickness, set your heart and your minds on things above. And so again, I'm not trying to be cavalier about this, but remember Jesus on the cross said, into your hands I commit my spirit. I'm going to tell you it's 2020. We are going to be in quarantine, maybe without a vaccine for a number of months. Things are just going to be weird and unusual and the stress and the tension is going to go in waves like lapping against the seashore. And so if you haven't already, you need to set your mind and your heart on things above. And right now declare, Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. I'm going to do what I can that's up to me, but I trust you with my health, with my well-being, with my body, my mind, and my soul. Set your heart on things above because that day is coming and we're going to live that way so that we are not shackled by fear and anxiety. So for those of you that are dealing with fear and anxiety as a result of our cultural and global circumstances, take heart in the gospel of Jesus Christ. One day he will eradicate all of this. Praise God. Glory be to him for it. And we're going to live as if knowing that's our future. And we're going to live that way now, trusting him. Set your heart and your mind on things above. That's one way you and I can practically do that right now. Now look at what Paul goes on to say. Look at verse 5. Let's read verses 5 through 11. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. That literally means now that you're in Christ and you've been raised with Christ, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And once you walked in these things, when you were living in them, verse 8, but now... Put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. This is the verse we read just a few moments ago for our children and our families during our family engagement moment. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You're being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ there is no Greek or Jew circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free. But Christ is all and is all. 
And let's just talk about this for just a moment. In the spiritual reality for us, when Christ went to the cross, we went to the cross with him. And so therefore, as I mentioned, our sinfulness has been nailed to the cross and buried with him. And so victory over it can be accomplished, but it's only in Christ. And so he lists, Paul lists here, a list of things that were buried with Christ. And he talks about matters of a sexual or sexuality nature. And one of the reasons we believe that is because Gentiles or Greeks, people who grew up in a Greek culture that idolized sexuality and the act of sex and not necessarily intimacy, but sexual engagement in this culture, many people came to faith in Christ. And once they came to faith in Christ, they still struggled with wanting to pursue God and still dabble in some of these unhealthy, sinful behaviors. So that's why we believe that Paul listed these things immediately when he tells us to put off And by the way, being buried with Christ and raised with Christ, Paul uses that metaphor that we saw illustrated by Jessica earlier. It is like taking off clothes or taking off the old self and putting on new garments. And by the way, when Paul says you are hidden in Christ, I want you to listen to me because I guarantee you there's somebody watching at home or somebody that will watch this later in the future and say that pastor is talking to everybody but me. He's talking to everybody but me, because if you knew what I did, or if you knew my checkered past, like you would realize that this probably stops at the threshold of my life, and that's not true. Paul says when you come to faith in Christ, you're hidden in him. And what that means is if you're hidden with Christ and Christ is seen and you're hidden with him, then you are secure, you are protected, and when people see you, they have to look through Christ to see you. Now that's God's intent, that your reputation, once you take off those clothes, that you would put on the new garments of eternal life in Christ. Now that's good news for somebody out there, for any of us who feel like we can't start over again. Listen, it's never too late this side of heaven to begin again in Christ. I want you to hear that and I want you to believe that by the power of Jesus. And so Paul says, take off. And so he mentions these sexual behaviors, immorality. That's the Greek word pornea. That's where we get the word pornography, okay? And Paul was talking about any type of sexual immorality, okay? Whether you visually see, whether you act on that in that culture, this culture, Paul goes on to list several things, impurity, lust, evil desires. He says, take these things off. He also says, take off other sinful things that are not good. Anger, wrath, malice, slander. Hey, anybody been torqued up because of the tension and the anxiety of the unknown? Not knowing when kids are going to go back to school. Not knowing, will we go back to the office? Will we not go back to the office? Will the company have to downsize? What does this mean for us? Should we go on vacation? Can we afford a vacation this year? Like, has anybody dealt with anger? It's just come out of you. Maybe not malice, maybe not intentional ill will towards someone, but you were short with them. Many marriages in North America and in our own congregation are facing challenges. I'm not saying that a single adult who's dating someone is not facing the same thing, but I know that when you're in a home and you are in a covenant relationship and you're bonded together and God's called us to glorify him and to work through things together, fuse together as one before him, one of the things I'm hearing in conversations with couples in our church, outside of our church, is the torque and the anxiety and the stress We know anecdotally, and there are statistics out there, I'm sure to back it up, but domestic abuse is up. One of the reasons that we know that is because many of our teachers, we talk about being safe at home against the virus, that's true in terms of wanting 
to be safer and stem the advancement of this sickness. By the way, don't stop praying that the Lord would eradicate this. Don't stop praying that this thing would kneel at the feet of Jesus. One day, everything that has a name, COVID-19, is named, will bow at the feet of Jesus. Praise God, set your mind and your heart on things above. That way we won't live by fear here and now. But until then, one of the things about staying at home, many of the teachers and educators I know, Williamson County, Metro Nashville, they're all saying one of the first places domestic violence gets reported is in the school system through a trusted relationship between a student and a teacher. Many of them are concerned about what may be happening while the children have been out of school for an extended period of time. Listen, as a church family, pray against abuse. That's evil. It's wrong. It's sinful. Pray against those things. Pray that all of our children, the children in our church, your children, children in our community, children at Carter Lawrence Elementary would be safe, that parents and friends and family and loved ones in the community would want what's best and in God's interest for the next generation. Pray those things very specifically. But many of us know anger, wrath, malice, it gets torqued up when we're confined in seasons of uncertainty. And so Paul says, take these things off. You need to take these things off. These are all things that we all struggle with in this life. Now, listen, one of the things that I noticed about this, look in verse 8. It says, but now put away. Put away. It doesn't say you put away, but the indication there, the implication is you, imperative, like you put away. But it doesn't say you put away. Now, listen, I'm just going to tell you as I read this, one of my personal opinions is that the reason it doesn't say you put this away is because this is not you or me alone trying to take off and put away these things. You and I need the power of the risen Jesus. Remember what I'm talking about. Remember what I've said previously just a few minutes ago. We can't live victoriously. We can't live new life in Christ. We can't put on new redemptive garments unless God's Holy Spirit, the presence of the risen Jesus, helps us. So listen If you're struggling with any of these things that Paul mentions in this text, remember, maybe 2,000 years ago, maybe Colossae, this is Nashville, this is so relevant. You don't have to prop scripture up to make it applicable, right? But we do need the Holy Spirit's help. Jesus doesn't expect you, Paul doesn't expect you, this church doesn't expect you as we preach and teach and hold these things up to do this on your own, right? Jesus saves us and then places us in Christian community. First of all, you need the Holy Spirit's help to take off And then to be able to put on new attitudes and new behaviors. But you need community. You need others. You need brothers and sisters in Christ who are walking with you. We first of all need the help of the Holy Spirit to help us undo or uncouple from our old selfish, sinful ways. But one of the things about this is this list here. Let's talk about the Holy Spirit's work in our life. This list is a list of behaviors, outward actions, anger, malice, lust, greed, any of those things. These are outward behaviors. Do you know where outward behaviors start? They don't originate externally. They originate internally. They start in the heart. And so Paul is giving us a clear understanding in Scripture, in the full complement of Scripture, that if you want, like, I don't want to be angry with my loved ones. I don't want to be impatient. I don't want to be short with my kids. I don't want to have uncontrolled sexual passions and desires. Do you feel that way? Like, I don't want that. Well, that's the first step, admitting that you have a problem, admitting that you need help with that, admitting that you don't want that, but then you're going to have to tap into the work of the Holy Spirit because the risen Jesus is the only one who can change your heart and change my heart. And where we have a rewiring of the heart, which is what the risen Jesus can do, a spiritual heart transplant, is then where those new thoughts 
new attitudes and new behaviors start to take root. It happens in here. So again, I mentioned the work of the Holy Spirit. One of the things that you may want to do today is literally list, pray. Here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what's going on. Lord, please help me take this off. If you're not a follower of Jesus, then the first thing you need to do is place your faith in the risen Jesus for the life to come, but for the joy that you can have right now. But if you're a follower of Jesus and you're still struggling with these things, confess these things, list them very specifically and say, Lord, this is what I need your help with. And Holy Spirit, please do a work in my heart. Rewire me to want what God wants. And there was an old Southern Baptist preacher probably nearly 60 or 70 years ago says the great thing about the Holy Spirit is he can change your wanter. The Holy Spirit can change what you want. So you and I need to be praying, Lord, help me want what you want. I want what is holy. I want what is right. I want what is good. I want what glorifies you. And one of the things that happened in the fall in the Garden of Eden was that the image of God in all of us, all of us are created in the image of God. The image of God in us was blemished. We did not lose it. We're sinful on arrival, but we still have the image of God in us. And what the Holy Spirit does when he comes into your life is he restores And he repairs the imago Dei. We find dignity, we find worth, we find value in the person of Jesus Christ. But then he begins to restore what it means to be created in the image of God. And the chief end of man, our chief purpose, is to know God and to glorify him. And we begin to make our way slowly but surely, some quicker than others, but stumbling one foot in front of the other. God helping us, and praise Jesus for it, we begin to move forward in Christ. So Paul says, take off and put on. Now here's the deal. Verses 12 through 17, I want you to read these, okay? One thing that we need to be doing is reading the Word of God throughout the week when we're not gathering on Sunday. So throughout this week, one time a day for the next six days until we gather next Sunday, read verses 12 through 17. The reason is because 12 through 17 talks about the things that the Holy Spirit wants to clothe us with. Bear with one another, put on love, Okay, put on self-control, put on gentleness, put on kindness, put on humility, put on patience. You read this text, you're going to see this this week. These are the things that God's Holy Spirit wants to help us put on. That's where it gets really good and exciting, right? But it's also good and exciting and there's freedom in being uncoupled and liberated from the things of our old nature and wanting to live new life in Christ. Once you get a glimpse of what Jesus can do and the freedom and the joy and the hope he can bring into your life, you're ruined You may still pursue from time to time and give in to certain temptations. That's what it means to still live in a beautiful but broken world. But there's much greater joy knowing those things do not hold the same appeal that they used to. I don't hold them up as idols. I'm not preoccupied with those things. And there's greater joy and satisfaction in the person of Jesus Christ, who is who we will be with for all eternity. So listen, the reality is once you get a taste or a glimpse of the real thing and the glory of God, you are ruined and Not necessarily that everything here is worthless. That's not what I'm saying. The things here hold less appeal, and then you begin to turn and ask Jesus to help you want what he wants and to not be fixated or have your heart and your affections and your attention preoccupied with things that are temporal and don't last. So let me encourage you to do this. Let me encourage you to bow your head and close your eyes wherever you may be.